Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. You are now live with the Word on Wednesday, and I am Pastor Winfred Burns, and we are continuing tonight our series entitled The Crisis at Corinth. And we want to uh, dive into Chapter 3 and begin our teaching in just a moment. Uh, But first what we want to do is we want to start out with the word of prayer. Now, tonight my goal is to to complete uh, this chapter. Last week my goal was to complete. Hey, Mother, how you doing? Uh, Last week my goal was to complete the chapter, and I didn't get it done. But in any event, tonight we're going to continue to press on. So let's start with the word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. God, we come blessing you. We come praising you. We come thanking you. For you are good, and your mercy endures forever. God, how we bless your name. You are wonderful. You are kind. You are true. You are our healer, our deliverer, our keeper. You are our provider. You are our constant companion. God, and even though you're God of all, you call us friend. And we thank you for that. Not only do you call us friend, but you call us sons and daughters. You provide for us and give us an inheritance. It's you, O God, that we place our trust in. You are our hope. You are our all in all. And we thank you, O God. Even tonight as we come to you, O God, we depend solely on you. And tonight we come as an empty pitcher before a bubbling fountain asking you to fill us Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your word. Fill us with wisdom and knowledge. Fill us with a will to do good to all mankind. Fill us, O God, until we want no more. God, how we bless you and praise you. And we just want to say we don't take your love for granted, but instead we bask in it. We praise you, O God. Now lead us into your word. Help us to understand. and Then give us the will to do your word. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, here's what I'd ask you to do. I'd ask you to hit the share button real quick. And um, when you... Um, when, when you... Uh, um, when you hit that share button, it'll allow others to know that... Um, that people are out there and they are um and and that we're out here teaching this bible study tonight and give them the opportunity to uh learn. Uh the blog, blog talk radio folks, um if you have a question you can call me at 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304. So again, hit your share buttons and let's get at it. Okay? Now, uh last week when we left off, we left off encouraging you 
to have a funeral. Our encouragement was that you would begin to walk in the spirit, that you would live in the spirit of God, and that you would crucify your flesh. You would deal with your flesh because we didn't want to be bothered with our flesh because flesh wasn't going to get us anything. And we talked about carnality, worldliness, uh, living after the flesh. And the thing that we said is to deal with our flesh, we had to put it to death. That's that funeral that we were talking about. And we put it to death, and the passage of Scripture that we used was um, Colossians 3 and 5, where it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. And then once we put that flesh to death, once we nailed it to the cross, then we wanted to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that was Romans 13 and 14. And finally, finally, we were saying that we would walk by the Spirit and that we might not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in that, that, was, that passage was Galatians 5 and 16. Because we didn't want God to come up to us and say to us, ye are yet carnal. So now we pick up Paul's throat from there. And again, this all ties back to division. Everything that we're talking about ties back to division. And this, uh, this part, what he's basically saying, you are divided. There is division among you. Satan is taking advantage of it because you're walking in your flesh. Amen? So now, let's pick up where we left off at, I'm going to read verse 4 and then transition right on into the next uh, paracope. It says, and I'm at, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So, what is he doing right here? Well, the first thing that he's doing here is he's now saying, look, you have been following mere men. What you've been doing is you have been following mere men, and because you've been following men, you are dividing yourselves. Secondly, he says, take a look at us again. Because what you're doing is you're making a big mistake. You are trying to make us something that we are not. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul is being called something that he's not. Uh, I can think of another instance in Acts chapter 14 where uh, they were in Lystra. And in Lystra, uh, Paul 
through the the power of the Holy Spirit, had performed a miracle. The blind man had got his sight. Let's take a look at that real quick so I can make sure I'm, because I'm doing it off the top of my head, and, you know, off the top of my head sometimes I get stuff wrong. But look at Acts chapter 14 real quick, real quick, make sure I got it right. Oh, now he wasn't blind. He was crippled in his feet. See, I'm glad I did that. It says, in Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now watch what happens. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the, apostle, the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men! Why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. You see, Paul has experienced someone trying to say that he is something that he's not. Paul understands who he is. But not only does he understand who he is, he also understands his mission. And so he writes, what is Apollos and what is Paul? We are servants. We are servants. When we look at men, when we look at men, especially those who are preachers and teachers, pastors, apostles, those who lead us into the presence of God, those who share with us the word of God. Sometimes we have a tendency to to fail to understand who they are. Are they important? Yes. Are they necessary to the kingdom of God? Yes. But they, like us, are servants of God. They are servants on assignment. And this is not to belittle a pastor or this is not to belittle uh, an apostle or, or anyone else. But instead, it is to teach us that they are not God. They are mere men and women who are on assignment from God, who are, who are servants. And sometimes, you know, as as a pastor and as and I, I think other pastors might suffer from this every now and then we need to remind ourselves of who we are we are servants does that mean that you know that we are pitiful that we are lowly that we are the scum of the earth and Paul will deal with some of those things later on in this in this in this book but no it means that we are ascribing to greatness Greatness in the kingdom. You see, one of the things that we do is we have a tendency to judge everything by the standards of the world. Jesus, what did he teach us? He says, the greatest of these shall be a servant. When there was a there was a uh, there was a point 
and I think it's Luke chapter eight. I think it is. Let me let me flip over where they were. There was a discussion of who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God, and this was not the not the conversation where they had in the upper room where they, where Jesus said that the greatest would be a servant. But in Luke chapter, I think it's seven. Yeah, here it is. It says, it says Luke chapter. Where am I? At? Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter 9, that's what it is. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. It says, An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. He is the greatest. And that's what, that's, that, that, that's what he's trying to say. It's those who bow down. It's those who, who are welcoming even of the smallest, the most insignificant individual. Because sometimes in the church, the reason why kids don't want to come to church is because we don't deem them significant. And they know that we don't deem them significant because if we deem them as somebody, then we would tailor our services to be more comfortable and more welcoming to them. And so what they do, as soon as they get old enough, they basically tell us, see you later. You didn't want to be bothered with us, and now we don't want to be bothered with you. Because we're not servants. Because we're not servants. And so Paul is saying, look, that's what we are. We are servants, period, Apollos and Anemus. And we are nobody. What we do is we serve because we're on a mission. And what is the mission? Well, my part in the thing was that I was supposed to plant the seed by delivering the word of God. And Apollos' part was, guess what? Apollos is he was supposed to water the seed. And neither one of us are nothing because we didn't make nothing happen. We were just doing what God told us to do. What really counts is God because it's God who causes the increase. That's what's important, God causing the increase. But then he says something else. He says, the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, by the grace God has given me. And notice he's, now he's going to switch from one metaphor to another, because at one point, at this point, in this parable, he's talking about planting. Now he's talk, Now he switches to building. And this is going to be, there's something important behind this. Watch this. He says, we are God's fellow workers. I'm at verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, 
which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survived, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, let's break this down real quick. He says, so what I'm doing is I am participating as a servant, as a servant, I am a master builder. Now, in the last paragraph, he says, he uses the terminology, now I'm a, I'm a seed planter. But then he, he switches and he says, because he wants us to see this picture, he says, I'm building. I am a master builder. I'm an expert builder. Wait a minute, hold it. You mean to say that he's not an architect? He is a builder? Yeah. A builder follows the plan that is devised by the architect. So Paul doesn't say, I'm the architect. He says, I'm the builder. And my job as the builder is, and remember he talked about, he started this chapter out saying, I couldn't feed you with meat. I had to give you milk. And we discussed what the milk was. It was the gospel. It was the fundamentals of the doctrine of salvation. He's basically saying, now, I gave you the fundamentals. I laid a foundation of Jesus Christ. And now what's happening is Apollos is coming behind, and there are others who will come behind, and they will build upon it. But they, too, have to be careful how they build because they are building according to the plan of the master architect. And they are going to use the, materi the materials that they use are the materials that the architect, the master architect, God, tells them to use. You see that? They're following the plan of God. As disciples of Jesus Christ, as born-again believers, what we have to do to, to keep us from being divided and to keep us building properly is we have to follow the plan of God. Now, I know sometimes that that we think that we have a better idea or that there's a better way to do it, there's a better way to, you know, get people to come to church. No. What did Jesus say? If I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. The plan is simple. We are to go into the hedges and the highways and witness to people with our lives and the way we live. It's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the plan of that's the plan that God gives us to build his house, to fill his house. We share the gospel, God through the Holy Spirit draws them unto himself. Amen. 
Do you see what he? Do you see what this is saying? And it says that um, no man can lay a foundation except the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Nothing's going to be added to what Jesus has done. The plan calls for us to preach salvation. Then it says something that's really interesting here. It says, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survived, he will receive his reward. Stop right there. What is he talking about? Now they're referring to judgment, specifically to the judgment that the disciples, the saints of God, will go through. Two judgments. Let's distinguish them real quickly. Okay, I'm a good time. Let's distinguish them. There is the judgment that those who don't accept Jesus Christ will go through. That is the judgment under the law where they will be called before God, and if their name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then they're called before God, and then their works are examined according to the law. Their lives are examined, excuse me, according to the law. And if they have violated one law, to the left, to the left, they go with the goats. It is do not pass, go, do not collect $100, uh, go straight over there where that fire is at. They're consigned to hell, to eternal damnation. Whereas we undergo a judgment, but ours is the judgment for rewards to see what kind of crowns we'll get. It is the evaluation of our works, the things that we have done while we were on this earth for Christ. And the and here's how the judgment works. Here's how it works. Your works will be judged. The first thing about it is, did you do it for Christ? Were you obeying Jesus when you were doing this? Were you following the Holy Spirit? Or were you doing it for some other reason? So if it was a fruit of the flesh, if it was something that you were doing to gain notoriety, if it was something that you were doing to gain the praise of man, you know, and keep going down the line. If you didn't do it for Christ, if it was not Christ-inspired, if it was not for him, then guess what? First of all, verily you have your reward. Secondly, that stuff going to burn. So it's the test of your sincerity and truthfulness and your obedience to following the plan of God. And if you're following the plan of God, building and advancing the kingdom of God because you've been motivated by God and not out of your flesh, guess what happens? What happens is simple. Your work stands and you get a reward. But if you've been running around here doing stuff because you just want to do it, If you've been running around here, and you can be saved as you want to be, but not following Jesus, and you can be working in the church, doing your own thing, not following Jesus, then your works burn, period. And you get no reward. And you get a chance to see, oh, wow, 
if I had to obey God and did all of the things that I was supposed to do when I was supposed to do it, then you get a chance, a sense of, of grief. Because you you realize right then and there, I wasn't obeying God. I was doing this just because I was big enough to do it, and I wanted people to like me, or I wanted people to think I was this, or I wanted people to think I was that. Remember that song? Only what you do for Christ will last. That's what that song is all about. You see, everything else gets burnt up because it's tested. Now, let me, I gotta, I'm going to finish this, okay? If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. And I'm at verse uh, what's it? Verse 15. He himself will be saved, but only as one escapes through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Don't you know that your body, and you'll see this later on, I think it's... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you'll see this, this come up again. What Paul is saying is that you are God's temple. Think about that for a second. Say it out loud to yourself. I am God's temple. What are you saying? I am God's dwelling place. I am the place that God has chosen to place his name upon. I am the place of sacrifice. I am the place of worship. I am the place of offering. I am the place where God chooses to fellowship with me. I am the place where God rejoices. I am the place where God heals. I am the place where ministry to God is carried out. I am the place where God reveals his will. I am the place, I am the meeting place of God. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? Think back to the Old Testament. Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to the tent of meeting. Go back to the, the Ark of the Covenant and go back to that the, where, the, where the cherubim stood uh, or, 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 or wing to wing and God appeared in the midst of him over the mercy seat. You are, you are the place where God chooses to reveal himself to all mankind. You are his temple. Does everybody get that? When God revealed that to me, just today, as a matter of fact, as I was studying, he, was, he, he said, you don't understand. We always look at it, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But as I was rereading this today, it just jumped out. I'm the place where God chooses to dwell. Do you know how meticulous God is about the place and how particular he is about the place where he dwells and he chooses to dwell in me? Think about that for a second and say it one more time. I am God's temple. Oh, God. I got to keep going. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. 
Now, Paul has gone from showing them what they're not and what he's not to begin to show them what they are and how important they are. You see, up until now, he's been showing this is how the vision comes about. But now he's beginning to say, but this is a unifying thought. You are God's temple. It says, do not deceive yourselves. I'm at verse 18. Yep, 18. It says, do not deceive yourself. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. So now go back to that worldly wisdom that we looked at in chapter 2. He says, look, if you think you're wise, if you're using your, your intellect and you think your intellect is so superior, the thing that you need to do right now is you need to become a fool. Act like a fool. Act like a fool and then uh, uh, more or less just empty yourself out. Remember the flesh has to die. Empty that intellect out. Empty all of that out and get the wisdom that is above so you can become wise. What, why does he say that? For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, we went through the wisdom of man. We went through that. I don't have time to go through that again tonight. He says, he says, the wisdom of the the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. No more looking at men as if they know everything. No more saying, bringing division among yourself by following men. Men and their thoughts and their wisdom is nothing. So then, no more boasting about men. Verse 21, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All things are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Why does he go with that? Why does he say that? Well, basically, he's saying that Jesus is Lord over all. You are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. God has given Christ everything. And so since you are joint heir with him, everything is already yours. Everything. And Christ is God. So what is he, what, what, what's, what, what's he saying? He's basically saying now, he says, we all belong to God. We all belong to God. Look, let me just summarize real quick and get out of here because I'm right on the number. What he's basically saying is division in the church is caused by worldliness. Worldliness is fueled, it fuels the division because we look at men and we look at women and we put them in an improper position. We make gods out of them rather than recognizing that they, like us, are mere servants. And the greatness is in serving. The greatness is in serving one another. The greatness is in serving the least of those. The greatness does not come by rushing up to the pastor and making sure that the pastor has water or making sure that the pastor is comfortable or making sure that the pastor has this. No, 
It's great to be able to help your pastor. I'm not saying that don't help your pastor at all, but don't step over all the people getting to the who need help, trying to get to the pastor who probably not only doesn't need any help but don't want to be bothered. If he's like me, if I got me a piece of chicken and some water or some Kool-Aid or something, I'm good. I don't need you showering me with gifts and all of this kind of stuff and all patting me on my back and telling me how great I am. I know that's a lie. I know me. I know who I am. I know I'm just like everybody else, a sinner saved by grace. I know all the mistakes that I made, not yesterday, but today. Just an hour ago, I was making mistakes. So I know that. Y'all ain't feeling my head full of foolishness. And you jumping over the people that really need the help. The sister with three kids and she don't know how she gonna get get fed, how she gonna feed those kids. The brother out there who's looking for a job and you telling the pastor about, you know, you giving him this and you giving him that, and this brother all he needs is is ten dollars so he can get him a bus pass so he can keep looking for a job and you ignoring him because you say he a nobody? Oh no. Real service is serving all, not titles, not 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 knowing uh, you know all the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. No, it's loving and serving your fellow man, and that's what's going to bring unity by recognizing and staying on the mission of God, and that's what Paul is doing right here. He's saying, look, our mission is whatever God assigned us. My mission was to plant. Apollo's mission was to water. My mission was to lay a foundation. Apollo's mission was to build upon the foundation that I laid. We are there for the same purpose, building the kingdom of God. That's what this was all about. That's chapter 3 in a nutshell. So let's have a word of prayer. If you have any questions, if you have any questions, I need you to, for those of you who are on Facebook Live, what I want you to do is I want you to type them in, and I'll see if I can answer them. And then those of you who are on um, uh, the Global Drive Network, you can call me at 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304. Let's have a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. God, we come blessing you. We come praising you. We come thanking you for once again sharing with us, God, not just the things that we do wrong, but how highly you esteem us. God, you tell us that we we are dwelling place, that we are temple, that this is the place us choose to allow your spirit to dwell. Wow. That is mind-boggling. That you, the God of the universe, you who have all power, you, the master architect of the universe, you who, who fixed that sun and the moon and the stars and, and you came up with gravity and and animals and trees and all of this stuff that we that we see and enjoy now that you choose to dwell 
with us and in us. And you know who we are. That's the, that's, that's the crazy thing about it. You know the mistakes that we make. You know that our thoughts aren't always toward you. You know that we're going to mess up, and yet you choose to live with us. You choose to make us your sanctuary, your temple. And you do it because you love us. You do it because you're committed to us. We'll never understand the depths of your love. So all we could do is say thank you. All we could do is bow down before you. All we could do, oh God, is to is to do our best and surrender our lives to you and ask you to have your way with us. God, so even tonight, we surrender to your will and to your way. Our Father, our imperfect worship, our imperfect praise, all of our imperfections. And yet you love us. Father, we would pray that you would give us the wherewithal and the power and the want to to do better by you, to live for you, to bring you glory and honor to die to ourselves that you might live. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, that's all I have for you tonight. I don't see any questions up there at all. Uh, and I don't hear the phone ringing from Global Drive, so we're going to call it a night. Next week we'll get to Acts chapter, oh, excuse me, what, Acts? No, we're in First Corinthians. Sometimes I say Acts because we were in Acts forever. But we'll get to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 next week. I pray that you've been blessed by this Bible study. I pray that you would share it with your friends. Uh, I pray that you would pray that others would join in uh, with the word. And finally, I want to say one thing to each of you. Go back and read that chapter again and pray over it and let God finish speaking to you about it. Again, have a wonderful and blessed evening, and I will see you next week, uh, God willing, in the creek don't rise. Bless you. Have a wonderful evening. Thank mm-hmm. you.